Hello and welcome to another episode of Hashtag Disruption Dialogues, a Markets and Markets podcast series for growth-minded strategy, market intelligence, and competitive intelligence professionals. Today, our host Pranjal Sharma is in discussion with Corey Clickman, Global Head for Sustainability and Design Consultant Services at Infosys. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Disruption Dialogues. I'm Pranjal Sharma. I'm an author based in New Delhi, and I'm in discussion today with Corey Glickman. Thanks for joining us uh, today, Corey. I'm really looking forward to Panjal. We're going to be discussing uh, the new design for the circular economy. And I think this is a very core aspect of what we would uh, like to, I would like to describe as responsible consumption, because it's not just about what you consume, it's also about what you do after you consume. It's not just about the companies who sell, but also once they sell it to the consumers, they have to have some level of ownership for what happens to the products when they reach the end of their uh, life cycle. So, Corey, this is really at the core of it, isn't it? In a world where we think there's unlimited supply, we have linear supply chain business models and understanding that we don't have this just ever giving pool of resources or if there's supply chain disruptions that not only are circular economic models healthier and more sustainable but they're actually better business and that's an interesting uh, concept uh, Corey while you know we have been talking about circular economy for a long while the fact that we're talking about a new design itself is interesting because it's a new version and there are a lot of learnings being applied you know, we move from a fundamental concept that a company cannot completely absolve itself of responsibility after it sells a product to a consumer. Now, when we say new design, Corey, how would you define that? What is the new design of a concept that has been there for a few years now? So I think at the, at the base level, we need to understand that the concept of our traditional ways of thinking about we produce something, uh, whether it's faster, better, cheaper, or it's a higher technology that gives us, uh, say, certain capabilities or advantages that we didn't see before. We still don't have this understanding of, is it good for the environment? Is it ultimately something that is going to be sticky and provide a higher value? So as we think about the design aspects, starts actually with the design of the product itself. We think more about, should a product be designed for more longevity? And if that's the case, that can actually impact business models. So if we take for an example, the idea of uh, printers and you know the printers we all have. For a long time, there's been a business to business model that you pay per print and that has now moved to consumers uh, as an example with refillable ink cartridges. And why this is significant is in two ways. In the past, these printing um, companies would say the majority of our sales or profits in our business model could be building and designing a printer and, and therefore getting you to purchase this. And that's how our economy would run across there. And that ink was a necessary component in order to supply the service. But by having a shift to say reusable ink cartridges, no longer is the entire economy of their business model based off of how often do they sell you a printer, but the fact of, am I supplying you with printing capabilities? Are you getting enough ink? And by shifting this model across their ink on demand um, and refillable cartridges and recycling, they no longer have to say, I have to replace a printer every so often. It's now more of a model based off of the ability to, can I keep you printing well and getting better use out of the existing cartridges? So that therefore means they're now designing printers for longer life, 
They're also designing ink cartridges that can easily be recaptured and refilled. And they're also designing an economic model in which they can stay very viable and actually grow and provide a better service. So that would be a good example. So that's actually fascinating, uh, Corey, because from, from saying, all right, we are responsible for recycling, we are going to the basics at the beginning of the cycle and saying that let's design it in a way that makes reuse far more easier. Now, you know, there are issues of microplastics, electronic waste, and it's increasing, you know, as more and more people use more and more devices per person. What kind of shifts do you see in terms of the systems that companies need to have? Because now you have to do it, the designing part, but also doing it at scale because we have to manage the entire circular economy, not just for a few products, but perhaps for a much larger range of products much larger volume of products and the time cycle for that products are also shorter. You know, you would keep a phone for maybe three years or four years. Now you keep it for maybe less than one year. I mean, you know, that's that's going to change. This means that there is going to be a big shift which is required for corporations and entities which are producing these products. Where do you see that going? Yeah, it's it's a really strong issue here. And there's some history, you know, it really is very fascinating to me when we look at circular economics in regards to what do we see in uh, landfills, right, and waste. And when we talk about whether it's microplastics, um, electronics waste, um, and, and other components, even food, right, are, are things that we have to look at what ends up there. And it's really interesting to contrast that when you look in the developing world, there's already an economy that says not as much goes into the into the, into the landfills, right? Uh, whether it's because of the lack of constant supply chain, cultural norms of just what is available, and you know how can we get the most out of things. And in the developing world, we're starting to look at those lessons, right? And we're saying we're doing it for sustainability. We're doing it because perhaps there's disruption of of a supply chain, or we need to be able to find how to find how to find better reuse off of these short supplies, and also better for the environment. So when we look at this, we start to design to say, well, how do I think from day one about a product? And as I said before, how can I get it to last longer in a cycle, whether it's a biological loop or whether it's a technology loop coming across there. And there's a large part of this, I think, has to do with both education of consumers and acceptance and of how people think about use. There's also an understanding of supply chain kind of going back to, you know, your original question. So if I think of, say, automotive industries, as we see a shift towards new technologies, such as uh, EV vehicles, that has two direct impacts when it comes to supply chain and circularity. One is there's much more technology involved and some of it is quite new, like EV or even hydrogen in the future, but it also causes a reduction in the amount of suppliers. So traditionally in the automotive world for years, there were two rules. It takes about seven years um, to design a new car um, series, right? So every seven years, you'd have that cycle in there. And you'd have over 17,000 suppliers that would be in your supply chain in order to um, fulfill these needs. With the new EV technologies, there's lesser materials, there's fewer specialists that can provide for these new technologies. Therefore, you're starting to shrink who can supply you. So you're designing now for saying, I have 4,000 suppliers. And guess what? I need to now design in two-year cycles, basically, to come across here. And it's a little bit of a paradox. So if I'm designing a new car for every two years, well, 
Does that mean I'm asking someone to buy a new car every two years? Or why is that happening? And that doesn't seem to quite make sense if I'm asking for longevity. But the fact of the matter is, in this technology case, these newer cars and mobility solutions actually use reusable platforms. So what's happening is, is you're recycling or reusing these existing bases over and over again because you now have to deal with battery technologies and other components unless your supply chain. And you're basically refurbishing or reusing the tops of these cars and keeping them going forward. So you're going to see mobility as a service versus a consistent, um, I have to buy a new vehicle every year. No, I'm going to refresh my vehicle. I'm going to keep my mobility going across here. That's how we can think about it from a um, perspective of the supplier. From a consumer's perspective, it's a different question, right? And there has to be a lot of education and cultural adoption of saying, why would I invest in this kind of service? Is it like a cell phone contract where I just realize I'm just paying so much just to get the service coming across there? And honestly, we have to do a much, much better job with electronic waste. I know myself, um, you know, I'm very cognizant of how many phones do have I stopped using and are there places where I can recycle? And it's difficult to find, right? What, what do you do with these? Because you want to be conscientious that they're just not ending in some in landfill. That's true. I think um, the key word here is culture, both uh, culture of business and the culture of consumption. So the effort has to be on, on both ends. But technology has a role to play. And you, you refer to that, Corey. How is technology sometimes part of the problem, but here it's also part of the solution? Um, what are the technologies that you personally and professionally are looking at as potentially the key solution drivers and enablers? So another great question. So there's some immediate ones that come to mind that I think will be very reflective to this answer. And that actually has a lot to do with, I'd say, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, and, and the reason I say that is the cycle that we've seen when it comes to sustainability solutions, it always starts first with data. You know, can I see data in, in a large system? Uh, secondly, what do I do with the idea of um, finance? How will these systems be financed? How will companies be evaluated? And then technology follows through. And there's different both material technologies and then there's digital technologies. And the reason I'm calling out artificial intelligence as, as, as a first mover, it's something that we know is working now and will continue to grow through here. And it will actually optimize systems. It will make us smarter. It will automate more across here. But it's kind of a, a it sits on what I'd say the line of sustainability. So in one aspect, it's optimizing our systems to achieve what we want to go. On the other side, as we do more of this, it requires a lot of power consumption, right? There's this, you know, some of these large applications require megawatts, gigawatts, right, of, of power and energy, which of course increases uh, footprints. But there is also the aspect of what they call tiny AI algorithms. Right. Learning how to code and build these smart systems that will actually do most of what we're asking the big applications to do to fulfill this need. And they use a much lower power consumption, you know, along the way here. So this is a case where the technology is an enabler. It also causes some of the growth uh, issues of carbon footprint because of the power that's required behind it. But then the technology concept itself can start to solve to say through these tiny algorithms and equivalent areas and other technologies um, that will allow us to reduce that carbon footprint but still see the same value. That's one of many examples. Corey, what, what are you doing uh, and Infosys is doing with the larger ecosystem 
um, what kind of solutions are you offering and what kind of questions and what kind of demands are coming to you what kind of problems are being shared with you which you need to solve when you talk to your clients sure um, it's it's pretty interesting because as Emphasis touches many, many companies around the globe in, in most any sector that you can think of, whether it is energy and utilities, whether it is life sciences, whether it's agriculture, whether it's heavy manufacturing, whether it's digital hyperscaling, you know, we see a lot across there. And depending on the segments, they could get very specific um, for their particular needs, but there are very common themes. Usually there has to be questions around the carbonization, there's always these questions about how do I see data and systems in order to understand how we measure and see across there. What are circular economics is a base question. And how does this impact my business in a way where I can tie good economy to the future across here? And then also, what is my consumer base and what's my workforce? These, these are very common questions. And then they're all dealing with regulatory. It can get very specific depending on what a particular industry is. So for instance, banking, the biggest questions are usually, how do I adjust the climate risk? How do I look for investment along an entire value chain in order to understand bridging that return on investments and also to drive that new economy across there? And what is the future of, of finance and banking? Whereas a, say a large materials company could be looking at questions of saying most of what we do produces carbon and we know that we're not going to be eliminate all this. So how will we address the idea of a carbon economy? What are the things much like the um, printer inkjet discussion is saying, I used to do it this way, I need to shift in order for circularity. So what would be that new business model coming across there? So the basic services they ask for are around data, understanding um, certainly how the financial models work for value realization, what are my technology discussions and decisions, both from a design aspect, from a materialistic component, but also where it happens with my digital technologies? And that might seem like a simple answer, but with the digital technologies, we move more and more towards the cloud. Now it's saying, where's that data service being held? What's going to be the footprint of this? What are my options as I increasingly grow across here? And then certainly the cultural aspect is a huge, huge question, both from a consumer perspective and from the uh, worker perspective. So these are common themes that keep on you know, reiterating. These are very much the key questions. And then I think what on everybody's mind is regulatory. And I actually see regulatory as a very positive aspect because until we know the boxes we have to work within and the constraints or the unification of common rules, it's the only way we're not going to have greenwashing take place, right? Or we're going to be forced to make decisions around our business models or how we design products, or what standards we have to move to. I would say another concern is ultimately speed to market. What is the advantage in the brand uh, what is the responsibility of a private organization or a country to perhaps go faster than what the governments or what um, other regulatory commissions are saying we should go forward with? And they're all trying to figure out how do they do this in the new world and what will be the implications if they don't do this? You know, this is uh, the, the word implication. Uh, the other side of it is also the effort required to make this change, the business case for it, and again, you, you mentioned it in different ways, 
can you share the business case for this and maybe through an example you don't have to name the company but perhaps you could share an example where you were able to work with a company to to make that change in the system processes culture and it actually benefited the business so i think where the business model actually starts with is understanding the constraint currently that they might have in their supply to match demand right so whether it's events in the world that could be taking place or scarcity of materials or cost of materials right so that's that's the first component and then they say well how can circularity actually have more reuse and perhaps provide a different um source of the, these materials and is there models that can be attached of me reselling those materials into our own supply chain again for reuse or into somebody else's supply chain so that's part of the modern global um, economy the primary benefit of this shifting to the circular economy is ultimately to eliminate waste and one time resource usage so at the first glance you would say that shifting to these circular models and having longer products do here there's a lot of operations you have to figure out and it has to be financially attractive across there so that's the first challenge but in fact here's a good example of where this actually works one of the biggest um pedestals podiums that i stand on is the built environment built environment accounts for 40% of all the greenhouse gases right we have to get this right so that would be everything from planning of buildings and cities to the actual construction of cities to the operations of these buildings it's 40% that's a really really big issue of greenhouse gases and components one of the most um important materials we all know is concrete and we put up buildings it's the most heavily used area but it's the least reused component in this whole cycle so what these construction companies are looking at now are saying how can we not have all this concrete just send them landfills or have one time usage in buildings so they're starting to what's called design for disassembly that when you actually plan for the use of concrete in buildings or in major infrastructures or bridges and cross here they're already thinking saying when i have to reuse this in the future how can it be both designed for taking apart and to be reused in future structures across here which now we're eliminating things that are happening in landfills we are taking one of the biggest components to make this whole thing work and putting a certain percentage back into the future of infrastructure across here and it actually will save money uh once we figure this out it is better for the environment um it's long lasting obviously but every we know it's going to be used in the future throughout here so coming up with this business model that says one of my major components such as concrete can be designed from day 1 to before disassembly in future and can have a market for reuse across there is a great example of of this kind of model Finally Cory you know that that's a terrific example but what it also leads me to as the final theme is its collaboration uh, which means that companies have to collaborate with other companies in the same industry across different industries uh, you have to probably create also new segments within the industry who will enable the recycling and the circular aspect and finally the uh, collaboration with with city governments uh, as well because you you mentioned regulators but if you're looking at uh, a, a recycling uh, ecosystem which is very robust and makes uh, it profitable for everybody then city uh, municipalities city governments mayors need to be involved as well um how do you bring that all together yeah and that's 
Good thing is there's models around that and it's never going to be simple, right? Because, you know, we can look at it depending on country and depending on, you know, what the both the social and the governmental and the economic part of this. I guess I first would like to start with when I first really examine circularity in any system, I go back to the landfills. And it's like the biggest measurement of what is ending up there. And that has a direct link to what cities do, right? They're responsible for the collection of materials, the storage materials, and, and how all of this works. And there's some amazing innovations that are that are taking place, right? To be able to go back in there and say, what can be reused? Or can it be turned into energy products? What does it mean the amount of land that's coming across? And what's the economic models coming across here? So it's kind of a different perspective, but I find landfills and waste management and exciting and promising innovative area through here. And that's always been, you know, a, an area of what do we do with our waste as, as a society. I think interesting question about how do you get governments um, and at the city level um, and at the community level lined up here. Certainly, once again, it's education and it's understanding um, the ability to act and where's the benefit coming across there. I think that the model ultimately that we're seeing come about is there's always going to be a public-private relationship, right? What is the balance between what does the um, public entities do and what do private industries do to contribute across here? And I think it's going to be that mix, which is going to be insurance of things like decarbonization or circularity will come from the government and from the city level structures across here. But I think we also know that the innovation will have to happen through the economies of private companies. One of the questions that I guess I'd like to ask your opinion on and your thoughts, because I'm going to turn the tables here a little bit, is information that traditionally has sat with what we trust with our public uh, entities, right? Pay our taxes to our energy bills, all of these things, this information that is very private. In order for the public for the private companies to take um, a role in innovation and helping create solutions, it means this information is now going to be shared with entities that are outside the norm. And what is going to be the safeguards or the rules in which these private companies um, will have to play by and what will hold them accountable? And I kind of want your opinion as an expert and on your thoughts. You know, Corey, that's at the core of it because every activity that we do is generating data, which is now can be and is being captured. So, of course, data was always there, but the ability to capture, store, process, manage is the change. Now, I think there there will have to be frameworks at several levels. Uh, there has to be global protocols. There'll have to be national protocols. There'll have to be sub-national protocols. Uh, I think depending on the activity, the privacy levels also have to be at different uh, stages. So if it's medical personal health data, then you need to have far more levels of, of security and protection. If it's traffic management data, perhaps not. Uh, the way I drive, um, the way I consume a product, the way I you know, dispose of a product, if, if there is you know, if you put sensors and products to be able to track that usage, that itself will give you a, a sense of what is happening. So I think that there is a lot of conversation uh, happening around this. And I know that World Economic Forum has uh, brought out a report on this in terms of what kind of global and it will have to be 
a very interesting model of global, regional and local. There is a lot of good which can come from it. So you are talking about great innovative models, but to share those models and to share that information, you need to have some kind of a equation or, or rules where I'm able to share data from India with US and US with Europe. So I think we need to keep talking about it. You know, we might not get it right the first time, but I, I can say that in India, at least where I live, a lot of debate and legislative action is happening. Regulators are very alive to this and they're working uh, on models where the personal data, which is anonymized but used at scale, can be made available to innovators like you so that you can then analyze the data and, and track consumer behavior, personal behavior, citizen behavior, and then see that how can that be applied for, for a larger good. I would agree with you. And I think it's very interesting that, you know, we've seen global movements such as whether it's COP26 or CDP components that say this is where we're heading and these are goals we agree to. And then I think we've both seen cities or countries say, I need to move quicker or I'm, I'm going to do things in a certain way because of aspects. I happen to live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which, you know, had that long history of steel working and, you know, a huge economy in that direction. And it's moved to high tech and heavy healthcare over the last 30 years. And we are desperately looking to say, how do we become a, a leader in green cities, right? We have fortunately large, both corporations that believe in this and also heavy universities such as Carnegie Mellon and Pitt and, and, and many others do here. And the city has been very aggressive by just starting some programs to learn. So for instance, um, we are the center of autonomous vehicle design right now. So a lot happening there. We're also in the areas of um, additive manufacturing. And most recently, we've taken on some very interesting, two interesting areas. Uh, we've become a dark city. I think we're the world's first dark city that says, how do we cut out on both light pollution and by cutting out 80% of our lights without an understanding is the crime rates going to go up or is safety issues going to be there? And how does that work? We become a one ticket city that's a single ticket that you can get a renewable um, autonomous vehicle from the airport that will allow you to get to a scooter or to a bus that's that's also renewable energy um, and make it seamless for the user. And we don't know if technology is going to work, but we're going to try it for two years is, is what we're going to find out culturally will it work coming across here. And actually next within two months, we're going to go plastic free. No more plastic bags in the city. So this is not something that's being mandated across the country, but the city is making these aspects. And there's other places around the world. I mean, Copenhagen is like leading the world, right? I've seen some amazing structures going across here. So I think there's also this freedom of initiatives, right? That people or cities can go quicker depending on leadership and what the cultures want to do here. And hopefully other cities and other institutions will say that's working or that's not working. And that's where I think the WEF comes in quite importantly, right? They try to see that big picture coming across there and try to capture this for everybody. So it's fascinating. Corey, that's a great, great thing. And, you know, before I end, I'll share the fact that in India, there is a big debate also about single-use plastic, for example. So in the city of Delhi, uh, plastic bags, which are thinner than a certain uh, width, are not allowed. So that if they're allowed, then they have to be of the width that can be recycled and reused. There is a big debate on the food industry. You know, they have the Tetra packs and they have a straw attached to it which is plastic. And there's a big debate that some of the biggest food companies in India who are selling juices and milk cartons. Government says you cannot use single use, uh, you cannot use plastic straws on that anymore. These are the tiny ones attached to the carton. 
um, and now there's a big debate they say well we'll have to import paper straws but how do i put the paper straw inside the inside the carton and you know pierce the foil so you know it brings me back to the first point that you made which is about design so these companies are now having to go back and redesign their their product their packaging and thinking about what do i have to do to make sure that i don't need to you know attach a plastic tiny plastic straw which is not used for more than 10 minutes but it lies in the environment for maybe years later oh it, it, exactly and then there's the whole cultural aspect right will people accept that there's once again I'll go back to my 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 city because I'm very active here so for years we've had this institution called the conflict kitchen which is right in the middle of Pitt university and it does two very interesting things one is it always features food from where the biggest conflicts of the world are happening so it's how people culturally understand what is taking place and there's it's very very interesting who you meet there and, and you know, we all support it and the second aspect is it uses um what i would call not premium food product i mean it's great food but it doesn't have to be perfect food and that's the only thing that they'll use in the kitchen because they're saying there's just so much food waste and expectations and it is a really interesting that it's saying we're culturally accepting quality of food which is still perfectly healthy and viable but it doesn't have to be that perfect tomato and at the same time we're learning how other cultures are eating or how they're making decisions so if we were for instance fortunately there's no conflicts in India that I'm aware of but if it was say in, in India um we would be eating um that food but we would also be using the containers you're talking about they would make this effort to do this as much as they can and that's how, how we educate and i'm sure other cities are doing something similar but it, it's fascinating entrepreneurialized right thanks cory we have to end now but i think mm-hmm. from what you say the design the culture and the business case which is all you know enabled by technology is really the answer for us to have far more sustainable a new version of the circular economy thank you so much and thanks everybody for listening in i was in conversation with cory glickman global head sustainability and design consulting services at infosys well thank you pranjal it was absolutely my pleasure to get to um, do this with you Thank you for listening to Hashtag Disruption Dialogues. If you are a strategy or market intelligence professional, we invite you to join our community on LinkedIn, Hashtag Disruption Dialogues.